Let's talk about um, marital sex. Um, you can turn it, if you have a little booklet, turn to page 11. I'm going to read the definition at the top. Is this. Sex is a vulnerable act of covenant renewal. Let me say this about that. What I personally believe is that when you are naked with your spouse, I think you're more aware of all that's beautiful and all that's sinful. Okay? I, um, my wife and I were both virgins when we got married. I had had some uh, sexual past. I think it's probably limited in terms of failure in our culture. It was, it was not an extensive failure at all. In fact, I think I probably did more in terms of sexual acts as a 13-year-old than I did after that. I was converted um, kind of midway through high school. However, whenever it was around having sex with my wife or during sex, what would come back into my mind were these past sins. And I just think because that act can be so refreshing and so bonding that a lot of times what will come up, and we're going to talk about this, is a lot of drama about your own sinfulness and your spouse's sinfulness because sexuality is to kind of the kindness of it. Touching each other in kindness is meant to really be a grace that turns you away from sin. Oftentimes the evil one's bringing up drama in your mind and trying to confuse what's actually happening in that vulnerability. So I think the vulnerability of that brings a lot of longing for real connection and real passion. I also think it brings up an awareness of sinfulness, um, if that makes any sense. And that's why I think it's a and covenant act of renewal that if you feel all that in one moment and you're still trying to participate and be kind to one another, then it's a grace. All right? So... Sex is a vulnerable act of covenant renewal where we join with our spouse in surrendering our shame and offering our hearts and bodies in grace to cover and restore each other's brokenness. They were naked and unashamed. I would say over 25 years of being married that just in the level of sinfulness, now I personally believe that as you're sanctified, your fleshly nature is mortified. It becomes smaller. Okay, I believe that we can actually grow as believers and become more sanctified where your fleshly nature is more mortified. All right? Um, in my marital relationship, I don't feel as much shame about my sinfulness, about myself, as I did 25 years ago. And when we're together, I'm able to feel more of the beauty and kindness in the act than I did 25 years ago because there's not so much drama in my mind. All right? Um, So sex is a vulnerable act of covenant renewal. Here, our individuality physically is a picture of what we're offering each other relationally. Now, a man and woman's body is different physically, but you guys know that you're also different, just your own stories and how a man or woman relates. So as I've grown as a man, I understand femininity and my wife. I I don't really understand it with any sense of completeness by any stretch of imagination. I just understand her much better. And I would say she feels much safer with me inside and outside the bedroom. I mean, this was an actual statement I said to her. We had been married about 15 or 16 years, and we were looking back at the time when we had a bunch of little kids. And I said to her, "Um, Sweetie, I don't understand how you kept having sex with me during those years. Because I was so driven and I was so uptight, and I had no understanding of what it was really like for you to have little kids crawling on top of you. 
and how tired you were. I really wasn't sensitive to that. All right? Individually, as, as our stories, as we grew and got to know one another better, who I was in the act of sex with my wife and who she was to me, we were communicating differently in that act with more grace and more kindness. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, all right? And so I say, what is uniquely different about each other in their soul outside the bedroom nourishes each other inside the bedroom. When we become physically naked with another, we bear all of who we are in a transcendent space. I, I believe when you're naked with another person, it's room for you to experience God in a very unique way. If you're having sex outside the context of marriage, I believe it's shutting you down to that reality. I believe if you're having it in the context of marriage and growing, it's opening you up to that reality. I really believe I, I experience a more nourishing sense of my wife and the Lord as we have grown in our sexual life together. When foreplay and stimulation toward orgasm is housed in a covenant relationship of grace, empowered by God, it can heal the shame each spouse feels and play a significant part in reconciling them to God. Through 25 years of having sex with my wife, there's been moments of, it's been crazy all through, you know, different seasons of our life. But I would say, in a covenant of grace and truth, as we have grown, there's been more kindness, more openness, more tenderness, more awareness of our love for each other in a way that that's been a healing and restoring thing. Not a perfect thing, but a healing and restoring thing. Any questions on that as an overview? Anybody? We'll try to talk about some principles about how do you live to move toward more life-giving marital sex. Create the space to dialogue about their sexual life. I did a similar talk about three or four weeks ago, and a fellow came up afterwards and said, to just to affirm this point, he was like, and they've been married about eight or nine years, and he said, it's really weird because it was just a couple weeks ago, my wife and I had our first conversation about our sexual life and what we liked and didn't like. And he said, I had no idea what I didn't know by simply talking about it. All right. It's a hard thing to talk about. I don't think many couples actually talk about their sex together. What I would encourage, because sometimes it can be difficult to talk about it. There's some good books out there. Celebration of Sex, Doug Rosenow. Get that book. And read a chapter or two and use that as a means of grace to talk about. Like highlight what you like or don't like and actually sit down and have a conversation. Find a tool, something that will help you to talk about your sexual life. But there's got to be more and more room in your uh, married circle where you can actually talk about it. All right. All right. Let's move down. By understanding genital sex and relational sex are complementary and can lead to pleasurable person-centered sex. You read that quote there. While other primates copulate rapidly and from the rear, only human beings exchange chai, what this fellow calls the energy of their aliveness, by making love face-to-face, belly-to-belly, heart-to-heart. I want you to think about that for a second, guys. Human beings are the only species who have sex face to face. It's a picture of the vulnerability it takes to become one. Alright? The nearer that you are to each other, as you're growing up in the gospel, you can come together more and more and be more vulnerable with one another. As I've talked about gendered sexuality, 
And maybe a good word would be intimacy. We should be growing, both as a man and a woman, learning how to be more intimate in relationship. Intimacy is relational sex, all right? Genital sex is what we do in the bedroom. If we're going to talk about relational sex, now I believe it, our culture doesn't teach this, all right? But I believe intimacy, all right, the way we relate and care for one another, husband and wife, if you're a man and a woman and you're relating, it is sensual. It feels good. It has a sexuality to it. All right. So that's relational sex. In general, women really like relational sex. All right. Men usually have three postures towards relational sex. I, I'm feeling alive enough and not so overwhelmed by life that I want to take you out and engage you and talk with you and get to know you better. Okay. That's one posture. Second posture a man might have is. I'm not that into really relating right now, but I know how much you like it, so let's engage and let's relate. He gives it as a gift. The third posture a man might have is, I really can't do it. I need to zone out. There's times where I've said to my wife where we needed to have a conversation, and I'm saying, I, re- I just don't have the energy to do it tonight. We will pick this back up tomorrow or something like that, okay? Now, that's relational sex. If we talked about genital sex or physical sex, Orgasm, being in the bedroom, okay? Men usually have one posture. In general, they would like it, okay? Women usually have three postures. They would like it. They would like it enough to give their husband a gift. No, they wouldn't like it. And that happens. The no in the middle, like if you have young kids, it changes oftentimes a woman's sexual responsiveness because of their tiredness and children and that type of thing. So I'm trying to paint... uh, a picture of the two types of sexuality, okay? And let me just say this. Women, if your husband wants to engage you and give you relationship as a gift, and he doesn't seem really into it, I want you to take it as a gift. Husbands, if your wife wants to have sex and she wants to give you a gift, I want you to encourage you to take it, all right? And wives, when husbands say no, they don't have the ability to really engage in that moment. I don't mean never engage, engage in that moment. And he says, no, honor that. Husbands, if a wife is in a space where she doesn't have the energy physically to engage, honor that. We have to give each other permission to be in all three of those postures. Now, that's a generality, okay? Through seasons of marriage, you may shift in those things. And there are some women in a marriage who are wanting to have more sex than the husband and a man is wanting to have more relationship. Those things, there's outliers. That was just in generality, okay? Let me read the um, quote I have there. This is this. The less that most people settle for is body-centered sex rather than person-centered sex. In person-centered sex, one is intimately and emotionally engaged with the other in a way that creates a deep connection and interdependence. In contrast to this, body-centered sex involves being engaged with the other and the mere pleasure one gains from the encounter. Though passion and pleasure are important aspects of sexual engagement, vital sex is so much more than a bodily release expressed through an orgasm. Simply saying, if you're not growing in deeper levels of intimacy outside the bedroom as people, as husband and wife relating, then that's going to affect what's happening inside the bedroom. Okay? Um, Let's turn the page.
So we've talked about you've got to create room to talk about sex, and we've talked about person-centered sex, where it's about the whole relationship. All right. Another principle I would say, in terms of moving towards a more life-giving sexual relationship, is to remember that there are ongoing sexual impediments. You guys, there are not couples out there that are having regular life-giving sex all the time. There are always things getting in the way. I remember how much our sexual life changed after my wife had children. This was about, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. I can't remember. It was the first Friday night all my daughters had an activity. And we dropped them off, the last one off at Homewood, uh, the football field. And as we started going towards home, my wife said, you want to have sex? And I was like... What did you say? Okay. Like the kids, just not having the kids at home, the three of them at home, she had a different level of responsiveness. All right. We have had different impediments, hormonal, sleep, sleeping arrangements, um, job stress. There are things that are always coming up that get in the way and it makes it hard to keep wanting sex in some seasons of life because of the impediments. All right. But things will always be getting in the way. Um, let me read the verse I have there. It says this. Grab the foxes, the little foxes. They are ruining the vineyards. Our vineyards are in bloom. Who are these foxes? What do they represent? Most likely, the specific reference to this metaphor is intended to be vague and ambiguous. Or to put it more positively... The foxes stand for anything or anyone who threatens the harmony and well-being of the vineyard garden. To preserve sexual joy, one must have the perseverance of a gardener who daily weeds her garden and the wisdom of the serpent, thereby outfoxing the foxes and protecting her hard-earned grapes. You see what he's saying there? You must have endurance and wisdom to maintain some regularity in your sexual life. It just doesn't happen. All right? There are things that are always going to be trying to get in the way. Does that make sense? And I just, I really want to try to help most couples feel some freedom. There just isn't a couple out there that, that is moving from beautiful sexual encounter to beautiful sexual encounter. I want you to have grace towards one another and be aiming through all the seasons of life to, for that to be a beautiful space. And when it's not that way, that you get up and you keep moving towards and trusting the Lord to build something more beautiful. All right. And that goes back to the point about person-centered sex. The way, how much differently my wife and I relate to each other now, our life inside the bedroom takes on a lot more life and meaning because of all that we've struggled through to get there. I can remember meeting with a single guy who was wrestling with should he ask this girl to get married or not. And he had had somewhat of a very um, story past sexually. And he said... I just can't imagine having sex with the same woman for a lifetime. And I've only had sex with one woman, but I said to him, that hasn't been my story. I've had sex with a different woman for over, at that point, about 19 years. Because my wife has changed, and we've learned things, and we've grown, and that has brought some life to our relationship inside and outside the bedroom, right? I mean, I'll give you a simple little example of that. It may or may not make sense. But 
um, this was a little bit earlier in our marriage. Now, my wife is not someone who grew up dreaming of having difficult discussions or exposing someone's sinfulness. All the things that really jazz me uh, does not jazz my wife. All right? So this was earlier in our marriage. And um, I had I was working on my Master of Arts in Biblical Counseling. And my two friends were single. And one of them had a connection. We're out in Colorado. One of them had the conne- a connection on the ski slopes in Colorado. So we all talked about, we had a we had free ski lift ticket, and we had a free place to stay. All we needed to get was skis. And so we decided to go away skiing for the weekend. How I presented it to my wife was that these, these two friends of mine, who she knew were my best friends, were going away skiing. I didn't say, I want to go skiing. I'm going to go skiing. Can I go skiing? I kept talking about how they were going skiing. And so my wife simply kept letting me talk about it. And then it's like Tuesday, and they're going away on Friday. And I say, they're going away. And she looks at me and says this. Honey, if you want to go away skiing for the weekend, I want you to go. But I want you to be man enough to let me be disappointed. She said, we can differentiate. We can be individuals. You can go. I'm always going to miss you whenever you're not here. That's not going to change. That doesn't mean you shouldn't go do things. All right? That level of strength gave me a new respect for my wife that impacted our relationship inside and outside the bedroom. I never expected her to have that kind of strength to help me see my sinfulness. I thought it was going to be me helping her see her sinfulness. Okay? And those tables have really shifted through our seasons together in a way that has brought real meaning to our relationship inside and outside the bedroom. Okay? I have down there just some common problems. You can look at them. I, I just really, even like I just saw infertility. I've worked with a lot of couples, obviously, that really impacts the sexual relationship. There's a lot of things that get in the way, and you have to use wisdom and endurance to keep trying to nurture that part of your relationship. Okay? Let's go down. You want to aim, not achieve, for mutuality and regularity. Let me read that. This is Second Corinthians, or First Corinthians seven, from the message. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. I want to say that what the scriptures really teach are two different things. First of all, that there should be some regularity to your sexual life. Um, Depending on where you're at, a lot of times men will use this really wrongly. We're supposed to regular, and for some men that means, you know, five times a week. And I don't think that's, in general, something that's sustainable over a long period of time. Okay? So regularity also needs, it needs to be mutually agreed upon, what that regularity means. All right? Does that make sense? It's not regularity from one person's perspective. It's both people. But there should be some regularity where you're trying to have sex together and have that covenant renewal ceremony. All right? Now, there's periods like during some pregnancies and we had young kids where we went a very extended period of time without sex. And we were able to put that in context. 
We also got, we're, we're pretty conservative sexually, I think, compared to a lot of couples. Like, we're not very creative. I think we would be a lot more creative if I hadn't been so overwhelming for about 15 years. My wife is getting some of her creativity back, all right, inside and outside the bedroom. But um, we actually became a little bit more creative during pregnancies because you can't really do sex the same way, okay? It was actually a means of grace because I like everything to line up and be in a box, and it actually helped me open up a little bit sexually, okay? Hopefully I'm not nerving you guys too much, right? But you got to talk about this stuff, all right? Um, if I just help you guys to have a conversation, I'll be happy, all right? You've got to talk about this stuff, all right? Um, but you want to aim for mutuality and regularity. Does that make sense? All right? It has to be agreed upon, but you should be trying to have sex. If you're going for a year, seven months, long periods of time, I think there's some other things in the relationship that need to be uncovered. And I've worked with a lot of couples, too, and it's usually the wife coming in where the regularity was way too much. All right. And the wife was getting worn out and the husband was getting more and more disappointed. All right. And I've had to talk with that couple and I've had to explain to the husband that your whole way you're relating to your wife is in a sexual relationship. And it's usually a very non-relational man. And I have to help him realize that you can um, become more of a... Your sexuality can develop outside the bedroom in a way that you are given more life and refreshment so that you're not so dependent on sex inside the bedroom. Does that make sense? Okay? All right. Um, Let me read that other quote at the bottom of 12. Authentic marital sexuality is best achieved when spouses engage each other out of mutual desire. There is no place for the misguided idea that the husband initiates while the wife acquiesces. Marital sexuality is to be characterized by mutual regard for the other, for oneself, and for the relationship. I want to read that other quote. McCarthy reports that when sexuality functions well in a marriage, it's a positive, integral component, contributing to 15 or 20 percent of the marital bond. However, when sexuality is dysfunctional or non-existent, it plays an inordinately powerful role, 50 to 75 percent, robbing the marriage of intimacy and vitality. Let me try to interpret that for you. In a marriage where the couple is healthy on a variety of levels, sexuality falls into a softer place. Does that make sense? When the marriage is has vitality in a variety of areas, like when I look at our married life like I see my wife and I as we were raising children like we had more tension when the girls were younger because we were both afraid that the other you know really didn't know how to really raise children and we had to kind of teach each other that but we've grown to a place where we're really more together in our raising of children and we just who they're becoming and who they are that just refreshes us more on a regular basis we're not afraid of where our girls are headed as much we can still get afraid of the future but it just refreshes us more that's something that brings us life on a regular basis we can go out and there's not as much tension as there once was that refreshes us there's a whole lot of ways not just our sexual relationship that brings us life we've also are not afraid to be individual and do things apart where earlier on in our marriage we were really afraid that you know each of us was going to get lost in being too much of an individual. There's just healthy ways we can be an individual now that brings us life. So our sex, our sex life falls into a much softer place. What's dangerous is when the relationship isn't healthy, 
there's a lot more sexual frustration and I believe a lot more trial and temptation from the evil one to get to tell you that that's your issue and you have to improve your sex or your marriage isn't going to improve. Does that make sense? That's my concern is in general when the whole relationship isn't bringing you light, sexuality takes on this huge importance because I think the evil one's using it to divide you. All right? So when that's the issue, when it's taking on too big a replace, you've got to think, what are the other ways we can be finding life so that we can move in that direction and our sexual sex will fall into a softer place in the marriage? Okay? All right. Let's um, talk about this other point. By cultivating spontaneity and playfulness inside and outside the bedroom. Baumeister found women's sexuality to be more flexible variable and responsive to social norms and settings than men's. The typical male model of desire, arousal, orgasm is inadequate for most women. So when a woman gives herself out of commitment rather than personal desire, something is lacking for both spouses. Though it may certainly be an appropriate response from time to time, it is certainly less gratifying for the couples overall. Indeed, the encounter becomes less person-centered and more a relationship commitment response. Here's what he's saying. I'll just say it in a, in a colloquialism. Men are more used to a quickie. All right? Where women foreplay and fun and relating and connecting, that's not five minutes. That's how you're relating to the woman outside the bedroom. All right? And so... A woman's sexual responsiveness is much more varied and happens over a whole different spectrum. Earlier, if you were there in the um, Sunday school class where I talked about compartmentalizing, men can compartmentalize a lot easier and sex is this, where for women it's the whole relationship. All right? That's where I think, and in general, it's guys have to do a better job at being more playful and not asking the wife to simply be dutiful. And women, I think you have to do a better job at also asking that of your husbands. I'll give you an example of our own relationship. As If you've heard me talk before, the little I've heard me this weekend, um, fun is not something that comes natural to me. All right? I have to work at it, unfortunately. And this was when we still had, our, our girls were all at home and much younger, so my wife was tired, and I think she was feeling a little bit overburdened by just how much I could work and be dutiful and not be alive and be fun. And I think with one of her good friends, they were talking and praying about this, and she encouraged my wife to plan a really fun date for us. And we, I forget where we went to eat. And then we went. We live in Homewood, and we went back to the Dawson Rec Center where you can play ping pong and you know just have fun. She planned a really fun date. And what I heard her saying to me is, I'm not going to give up my desire to be more playful with you and have more fun with you. And that's something all through the seasons of our life together, my wife has fought more for. And when we were away this past weekend, I said earlier, we went away for our 25th for an extra long weekend. Like, <clears throat> I was able to be present and alive and more playful just in the way we talked. Like, I wasn't worried about work. I wasn't feeling like... This is horrible. I'm not getting something done. And in many ways, I was sexual kind of across the board in just the way I was relating to her intimately. And obviously, that helps her responsiveness in the bedroom. So I just want you to remember, playfulness, I think, is 
and part of an ongoing relationship, and you need to continue to be creative in how to incorporate that in your relationship. It's easy to get stuck in ruts and not be playful. All right? All right. Um, let me read that um, second quote from Boswick and Boswick under playfulness. Sexual routines quickly become ruts of dissatisfaction. The sexual relationship benefits from enjoyable, uninhibited interaction. The ability to be spontaneous indicates a certain comfort to sexual passion. Just a self-consciousness inhibits free expression. Ritualized structure can stifle the person-centered process of lovers engaging each other through the sexual interaction. The last point is this. If I'm remembering... What you tell yourself about your sexual relationship with your spouse can often be more important than the actual experience itself. Let me read the C.S. Lewis quote on the last page. What is this? I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy. The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I want to say this plainly and clearly. Your sexual experiences will never be as much as you long for. And that's not because you're having bad sex. Your sexual experiences will never be as much as you long for. And that doesn't mean you're not having good sex. It says this. Even we Christians who have the Holy Spirit within us is a foretaste of future glory grown to be released from pain and suffering, we too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as children. You guys are supposed to learn how to live like aliens and foreigners because you were made for a totally different world. Alright? When you see God face to face, whatever sexual tension you have will be gone. So if it's true that your sexual life together will never reach as much as you desire, then there's room for disappointment. Is that right? And there's room for legitimate disappointment that you actually have to learn how to sorrow and not blame each other or yourself for. Okay? But what I found, because it's an area that the evil one wants to attack, our disappointment sexually usually becomes much bigger than what it really should be. I'll try to give you an outside example. Let's say you go to a fun dinner party, you're, you're in a home group, or you've got a couple of good friends, and you guys get together, and let's say you've got young children, and the young children are not there. And it's really, really a fun evening. You laugh, you engage, it's rich, it's really beautiful. And you're both refreshed. And you get in the car, and one of you makes a comment about something going on with one of the couples. And you start talking about that couple, and you get divided. And by the time you get home, you have forgotten the beautiful evening. Have you ever had a moment like that? Something really beautiful that you can't even remember because some drama took over. All right? You guys have oftentimes really meaningful, refreshing experiences in your bedroom. If you could shut out the drama in your mind and just be attentive to the fact that this is someone who's committed their life to you and they're in this moment trying to please you. 
And that whatever pleasure happens, if you try to hold on to that and nourish that and fight the drama in your mind, oftentimes I think our sexual experiences are much more refreshing, but we let our minds take us away from it. And especially because we'll feel some disappointment. And since we're not supposed to have any disappointment, this little disappointment grows into this disappointment. So if our sexual experiences are never going to reach all that we long for, you've got to make room for a little bit of disappointment that you feel sad about and you don't blame yourself or your spouse for. Does that make sense? All right. Let me um, read that last couple sentences I have there. It says this. Men experience sexual communion and genital sex that helps silence their feelings of inadequacy and frustration tension. While women experience sexual communion in relational sex that silences their feelings of fear and loneliness, despair, the drama in your mind often robs the physical relational sex of its nourishment. I would say if we went back 10 years, I probably had more disappointment with our sexual life physically and my wife had more disappointment with our life sexually uh, relationally. Can I tell you, we were both walking with the Lord, caring about one another, trying to be as good as people as we could, and there was still disappointment that was bigger than it needed to be because we were listening to lies and deceptions. And we see it so much more clearly at this stage. Um, My hope would be is, is the things we've talked about will help you a little bit. You guys, your sexual life, your intimacy, I think is a primary place of spiritual warfare. It's a place that the evil one wants to own and rob and kill and destroy. I hope some of the simple things we talked about would be of help. I know this subject might be the hardest of all to ask questions about. And if we were going to do a break and come back, I'd have you write them down. That would work a lot better. We don't have time for that. Any questions that anyone might want to ask? Sure. Uh, I'll pray for y'all. All right, let's pray. Lord, I pray for these couples. Lord, I pray for their tender moments where they're more vulnerable before you than they even realize. But I believe your sex is a transcendent holy experience where every part of them is open to each other and to you which is often why we feel so much trauma Lord I pray that you would help them see the way each other is trying to be present and offer themselves in kindness Lord where they really are through your help trying to be pleasing and nourish the other in that act. Lord, help them to see it. Lord, where that's going on outside the bedroom, where they're really sacrificing in ways to really be present and love one another, help them to see that. Where you're actually moving and working in a relationship that can be hard to see because of all the craziness that goes on. Whatever is honorable, right, and true, Lord, I pray that you would help them to see those things and remember those things and be nourished by those things. And I really pray for each of them that they would move towards something better in their lives relationally 
and in their lives sexually, Lord. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.